so grateful that we can just focus in on this candle that represents the light of Jesus and say, Jesus, thank you. And, and the Apostles' Creed across the centuries and around the globe to be able to join together and say, Lord, we do believe, we affirm our faith. Before we look into God's Word, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we want to thank you again uh, that really it's almost too much for us to comprehend that you would come into our broken world and become one of us and be born in that stinky stable, Lord, and into our broken world so that you could rescue us, forgive us. Lord, thank you that you're still alive, that you still hear us when we pray. Thank you that you still keep your promises and you still come to live within every person who invites you in. Lord, what a privilege that we can still follow you like those first wise men and wake up each day with a sense of purpose and, and meaning and, a, and the confidence that you're with us. Lord, for those today who need a sense of your presence, maybe in a special way, we ask that you would give them some gift of your nearness. Some here are maybe grieving the loss of a loved one this year, or maybe there's a struggle with a deeply strained relationship, or Lord, maybe things at work or some other way, health, there's difficult circumstances. Lord, we, we pray that today that you would show your nearness, that you would uh, just pour out your peace, and Lord, that there would be a sense of uh, God is near, he hears me, that we would really believe that. Lord, show yourself so strong, I pray. And thank you again, Jesus, that you, you came to bring light, and we pray even today, turn the lights on for us in our hearts. In your name we pray, amen. There is something about Christmas that we just say, I love the lights of Christmas. Can you imagine Christmas without lights? That if we had like, you know, you walked, you drove around the neighborhood and there's no Christmas trees, no, you know, town square kind of decorations, uh, no candles, no Christmas Eve service, no decorations in your neighbor's yard. Mary and I have a uh, simple display in our front yard and it's a manger scene that we really like. But we thought it would be fun to do something like one couple who got creative. Did you see this? Their neighbor, <laughs> their neighbors had this huge, like outlandish display. So they're just like, you know what? We're not even gonna compete with you guys. I think the ditto probably got a lot more attention than the house on the left. Another family said, you know, we can't do a lot of lights either, so we're just gonna do this right here. Uh, <laughs> one string of lights is all it takes with that Grinch. But maybe my favorite one is uh, this one right here. Some of you know that's a scene from National Lampoon's Christmas, and, and this couple in Texas, his family said, that's a dummy up there. And if we zoom in a little bit, you'll see uh, this guy right there. Not a real person, although Mary will never let me hang up lights because she knows that's what would happen to me if I, if I did that. And it looks so real to people passing by that there were enough people who stopped and either called up to the guy and said, are you okay? And he, he would just want to answer him. <laughs> that the police finally came knocking at the door, and true story here, and said, you guys either got to put up a sign that this is fake, or you have to take him, that poor guy down. Um, <laughs> lights at Christmas, and we enjoy having fun as well. You know, there's a good reason to celebrate Christmas with lights. It's actually, there's a biblical basis for that. 
Uh, it's not only because we have the winter solstice and the days are shorter than ever and we just think, wow, it's so dark out. And, uh, but there's something about in the Bible passages about the coming of Jesus that just light keeps coming up. So for instance, in Matthew chapter two, you're reading about the wise men and here's what you read. It says this, they, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed and coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. How are they led? This bright star in the sky. And for the shepherds, it's the same. Luke chapter two, heaven lights up for them. It says this, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord, what? Shone around them, right? I mean, there was this, can you imagine like a mass of angels lighting up the sky and you wonder if the people of that day, the Jewish population who knew their Bible history would think back to Isaiah chapter nine, 700 years earlier, there was a prophecy and it says this in Isaiah nine, verse two. Would you read where it says the people walking? Can we say that together? You ready? The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given. And 700 years after that prophecy, a child would be born. Jesus is introduced as the light of the world. And we might go, I don't really know if I believe that. You know, I don't know if I accept that he, but, but it's what he claims anyhow, that he came to bring light, to bring hope and purpose and meaning uh, to our world in a world that was pretty messed up. In his acclaimed book titled A Secular Age, Charles Taylor writes about the feelings of disenchantment and this loss of meaning that seems to afflict so many people in this modern age. The people go, you know, I don't really believe, but they feel inside there's this sort of gaping hole, if you will. Like, is there more? Is there more than just accumulating like a lot of stuff and money and getting to the pinnacle of my career and having, I don't know, whatever? And, and he says this, he says in his book, he says that people, even unbelievers, they're comfortable in their unbelief. There's a sense in which many of them, they'll look up at a starlit sky or they'll hear like, they'll go to Severance Hall and they'll hear music that they just go, wow, that is so beautiful. Or maybe they'll read a piece of literature or poetry and they'll say, I, I have this yearning in my soul that there must be something more than just a cosmic accident. Like, what does the world mean? Why am I here? And we wonder. There's this sense of wondering and unrest in our souls that, that people who are just sort of floating through life go, is there more? Friends, you know what? In the gospel, we have the message for which our hearts ache. There's an invitation from the light of the world, Jesus, that we can know him, that we can join a story that is still being written, that our lives can be filled with purpose beyond just getting up and going to work, 
that when we die, that there's an eternal home that's awaiting all who follow Jesus. Like he, he, what he's saying is this, when he comes and brings light, he's saying, he turns the lights on, you go, wow, I get it. I understand that there's a beginning to history and there's gonna be a conclusion that goes on forever and ever. And God is writing this story that he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And he invites me to know him like it's amazing. Luke chapter one says it so well. We read this, because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. This is just before Jesus is born. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. That's what Jesus wants to do for all of us, to give us light in our darkness to guide us in the path of peace. Like if you have a lot of anxiety, he says, I wanna, I wanna pour out peace to provide light that dispels darkness. It's the invitation of Jesus. And when Jesus no longer is a baby, he grows up and he's like about 30 years old, he makes the announcement about what he's come to do in the most compelling way. Like it's really dramatic. And here's what happened. There's a Jewish festival called the, the Festival of Shelters and the Jewish people love to have celebrations and feasts. And in this particular one, uh, they would all thousands and thousands of people from Israel and beyond would gather in Jerusalem. And for four nights in a row, there was these, these candelabras that were at the highest point of the city, the temple. And these candelabra were as tall as the temple walls. Like they were huge and they're lit. And, 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 as, and as they're lit at night, they, they would give light to like everyone around them and, and to the city. Like you could be anywhere in the city, you look up, you go, Wow. That is amazing. Like those candelabra, like are you, you can't miss them. And people would gather and they would dance into music and it was like a, a gathering just to give honor to the Lord for what he had done in their history. And they would remember and they would celebrate and it was, and it was at that feast that Jesus stands up before these crowds of people and he announces this. He says, I and the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in what? In darkness, but will have the light of life. It was an amazing promise. And the people, they hear it and, and they, they knew exactly the connection that Jesus was making, that when he made that promise, their minds would have gone back 700 years earlier when they remember that prophecy in Isaiah 9 that we read together. The people walking in darkness have seen a what? A great light. On those living in the shadow of darkness, a light has dawned. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given. They're like, he's announcing, he's claiming to be that one that was prophesied about 700 years ago. And Jesus did intend to say that. He says, I, I am the light of the world. And then he makes an invitation. I just want to mention two things about this invitation. First, it's inclusive. Some people are like, I find that, you know, Christianity is narrow because Jesus says he's the only way, the way, the truth, and the life. And he does say that. But you know what other word? What's the first word he says here? He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever. Whoever means how many people? Like, Whoever, right? He, he's saying, who, like, anybody can, can come into the family. I had someone uh, today, after one of the services, she said, can I show you a picture of my phone? And we had prayed for this family member for, like, years. 
I, I hadn't talked to her about this family member in I don't know how long it's been. She says, look at this right here. It, he's getting baptized. This was like four months ago. And she goes, I would never, ever have expected that he would, like, the lights came on. I hear that story over and over again. That people, I can tell you, and I've been a pastor for a long time, and sometimes the people who end up following Christ are the most unlikely people. And you're like, wow, this is the power of God on display, right? It could be me, it could be you, that, that you might feel like I'm so far, there's no way. That's exactly the kind of people that Jesus says, you know what, I'm inviting you, whoever. It's this wide open invitation. There's something else about it, it's personal. He says, he doesn't say whoever just believes in me or whoever, he says whoever what? Follows me. There's, there's this relationship. Like when you follow him, it means you put your trust in him, you walk with him, you say, Jesus, I invite your spirit to live in me to make me more like you. And, and you follow, you follow wherever you go in life, you say, Jesus, I want you to be the king of my life. And he says, when you do that, he makes a promise. He says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He's going, the lights are gonna come on. You're, you're going to understand things in, in a, the bigger picture and life is gonna make sense that it's about more than your job and your career and about accomplishments and whatever else it may be. The bigger picture becomes clear when the light is turned on. And friends, he's been bringing light since the day he came into the world, changing lives through the centuries all around the globe. Maybe that's why, you know, even though Jesus never wrote a book, he never led a nation, there are more paintings of Jesus. He's the focus of more sculptures and music and movies than anybody else in all of history. Like incredible influence. When you follow Jesus, he, something happens. That light of life, it means that the lights go on, the pieces begin to fit. It's like a puzzle. You go, oh my goodness, like that's, this is what life is all about. You have purpose, you have a sense of joy. Even in the midst of whatever heartache or crisis or circumstances you don't like, you go, I know there's someone who's bigger than I am who's gonna work all this together in a way that's good. I can trust him. I hear it over and over. Guy told me last week, um, we were talking after service and he says, John, and he goes, I've been coming here for six weeks. And he said, today was like the day, like the lights went on. I understand it, I get it. He's like in his 20s and he goes, I, and for so many people, that's what they look back on. They go, there was a day when the lights came on. It could happen even today. I wanna tell you a few stories of accounts, true accounts of people for whom the lights have gone on. It's uh, people who's, who are known. Uh, you could look up any of their stories. It's one of the reasons I'm telling you their stories. And whose spiritual transformation has surprised people. You may have heard of Catherine von Drakenberg. She found fame as a tattoo artist in the last number of years on reality TV. She's better known as Kat Von D. And she announced this past year that she was giving up witchcraft and the occult. And she wrote on Instagram to her millions of followers. She said... In the last few years, I've come to some pretty meaningful realizations, many of them revolving around the fact that I got a lot of things wrong in my past. Then two months ago, Kat Von D made a big splash, literally, yet again, when she shared a video on Instagram of her getting baptized. You're gonna see a picture of that here. 
there she is. And some of you know, and that's the pastor there. And he, if I play the video for you, he goes, Catherine, um, my sister in Christ, based on your profession of faith and in obedience to his command, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And people, you know, they all, I mean, it's an amazing story, right? Made headlines around the world. Another person who had the lights turned on this past year, spiritually speaking, is Molly Worthen. Molly had been an agnostic most of her life. She grew up outside of Chicago in what she describes as a secular home, and she's a very gifted intellectual. She completed both a Bachelor of Arts and a PhD at Yale in Connecticut. Today, Molly is professor of history at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and she's written for New York Times and Slate, The New Yorker, and numerous other pub publications. In a compelling interview that made waves just about eight months ago, which you can find online and listen to it, Molly uh, announced, and, and again, it sort of shocked the academic world, she, she announced how she came to Christ last year after being a skeptic for virtually her whole life. It's a remarkable story. She did a lot of reading. She corresponded with author Tim Keller, before his death to cancer earlier this year. And in the end, she was convinced by belief in the resurrection. And here's what she says. I was praying for some sort of warm and fuzzy mystical intervention, and it did not happen. I just got to the point in August where I thought, well, gosh, if I am a consistent pragmatist, I have to admit that I've gotten over the, that line of the resurrection being the best explanation for the historical evidence we have. And if that's true that is the resurrection, if that's true, I have to change my working hypothesis of the universe. So Molly, too, put her trust in Christ this past year. Then there's Philip Johnson, the brilliant author and former law professor at the University of California, Berkeley. He was also born in Illinois. There's a lot of smart people from Illinois. Anybody from Illinois here? All right, right back there, I see you, a couple of smart people here. And... Um, so Philip Johnson was accepted into Harvard University as a junior in high school. Uh, he then went on to law school at the University of Chicago, graduated at the top of his class. Following graduation, he got the highly sought after position as the clerk of the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. I mean, this is like the most highly sought after position. Philip Johnson was just, he was this rising star he was gonna make his mark in the legal world and, and the fast track to success, making a name for himself. But inside, he had what Charles Taylor in his book, A Secular Age, talked about. Philip Johnson had this nagging sense of emptiness that there's got to be something more. And he said, I, I just didn't know. I thought there has to be like, is this it? My marriage was in shambles. One evening, uh, Philip Johnson accepted his daughter's invitation to go to church with him. And he wrote this later. He said, to this day, I can't remember any of the pastor's message. And that's exactly what many of you will be saying about three years from now. I have no idea what Jonathan said. That is some bald guy, I don't remember his name, some bald guy up there, you know? But what I do hope you remember is this. He says this, what I do remember thinking at the time was, you know what? He really believes this, and I could too. I could believe like that. The lights went on for Philip Johnson that night, and though a lifelong agnostic, he came to the conclusion through a lot of research that Jesus 
had come back from death. The resurrection had happened and that changed the trajectory of Philip Johnson's life. Another testimony that came as a big surprise in just the last few months is from Ian Hersey Ali, a research fellow at Stanford University's Hoover Institution. Hersey Ali grew up uh, in Somalia, experienced some of the worst of religious fundamentalism, and she's been an, uh, an advocate for Muslim women around the world, a champion of human rights. In fact, you see there with John Stewart, she's been on Stephen Colbert, she's been on Bill Marsh. I mean, all the big talk shows Hersey Ali has done, and she also was a leading spokeswoman for the new atheism. At least she used to be. That final descriptor is why an article that she wrote and published just six weeks ago, which you can find online if you just type in her name, made such a stir. The article was titled, Why I Am Now a Christian. Here are a few excerpts of her bombshell article. She writes this. I would not be truthful if I attributed my embrace of Christianity solely to the realization that atheism is too weak and divisive a doctrine to fortify us against our menacing foes. I have also turned to Christianity because I ultimately found life without any spiritual solace unendurable, indeed very nearly self-destructive. Atheism failed to answer a simple question. What is the meaning and purpose of life? Bertrand Russell, she says, and other activist atheists believe that with the rejection of God, we would enter an age of reason and intelligent humanism. But the God whole, the void left by the retreat of the church, has merely been filled by a jumble of irrational quasi-religious dogma. And then she goes on and quotes the British author G.K. Chesterton. She says, the line often attributed to him has turned into a prophecy. When men choose not to believe in God, they do not thereafter believe in nothing they then become capable of believing in anything. Of course, I still have a great deal to learn about Christianity. I discover a little more at church each Sunday, but I have recognized in my own long journey through a wilderness of fear and self-doubt that there is a better way to manage the challenges of existence than either Islam or unbelief had to offer. Hirsi Ali became a follower of the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Another remarkable story. Each one of these stories remind us of the power of the gospel in a secular age that really offers very thin alternatives. I mean, if someone says, I don't believe in Jesus, that, you can just say that, yeah, that's, that's, hey, everyone has their own choice, right? So for you, what gives you meaning and purpose in life? Like, what, what, what would you say? Like, why do you, why are you alive? Like, what's your purpose? There's there something more to just your 75 years of life on this planet. Can I share just one more? I want to go from the world of academia to the world of sports and tell you one story from my favorite football team that happens to be nine and five right now. Go Brownies. Any woof woofs out there? Yep, yeah, well, we got <laughs> Dustin Hopkins is the Browns kicker, one of the best place kickers in the NFL this season. He's been named the AFC uh, Special Teams Player of the Week twice. Uh, he and I have been working on his form together. <laughs> he made the, lo the longest field goal of his career on October 22nd versus the Colts, a 58-yard field goal. And he's one of the reasons the Browns are 9-5. and five. But Dustin would be the first to tell you that football is not what defines him. Football is not who he is, it's what he does. So who is he? 
I want you to listen to a two-minute clip of Dustin recalling what happened to him at a Christmas Eve service years ago. Here he is. When I was young, I excelled at sports and was pretty good at school, and I found value in that and being good at a lot of things. Through that time, my parents were bringing me to church, but my version of Jesus was this sandal-wearing, long-haired hippie who like, you know, Jesus loves all the little children, for the Bible tells me so. And so my view was like, man, if he loves all the children, and I'm better than most, I should be good. Me and him, we're good. When I was nine years old, my family and extended family went to a Christmas Eve service, and it was the first time I, I had ears to hear. I heard it in a way where God had authority and that I wasn't God's gift to planet Earth. They asked if you'd want to give your life to Jesus, and I remember feeling this, like almost like a tingling sensation throughout my whole body. So I, I go up there, and I don't remember what the exact words were, but it was something like, you know, Lord, I'm not good enough. Jesus come into my life, be my Lord and Savior. Thank you for your love for me. I recognize now that <laughs> the longer I live, the more God shows himself and reveals himself to me. And so now through being fired three times in the NFL to becoming a father to parent struggles, he's proven himself merciful time and time again. God's mercy and his grace is abounding because he made a way for us. It's great, isn't it? Of seeing that. For Dustin, it began at what kind of a service? Christmas Eve, right? When he was nine years old. I mean, some of you are nine, you're like, am I too young? You're not too young. Some of you might be 90, you're not too old. Or you're somewhere in between and you say, I have been so far from God or there's, you're never too far. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and the next word is what? Whoever, whoever follows me. So really the choice is yours. You can, you can do one of two things, and there's no in between. You can either say, I believe that Jesus is the light of the world, and Jesus, I trust in you. I want to follow you. I accept your invitation. Or you can try doing life on your own and say, you know what, I, I don't really buy into that. And I'm just gonna try to keep on doing it. And Jesus says, you know what? I, there's darkness in that way. And his invitation is always open. And so the question is, where are you in that invitation that he's made? Have you accepted his invitation? You know, if, if you like Hersey Ali and Molly and Kat Von D and Dustin and Philip Johnson and you know, all of these others who found it compelling and intellectually credible and rooted in history. If, if you've made the same decision and said, you know, I've put my trust in him, this Christmas for you, you can just go, Jesus, thank you again. Thank you for what you did for me. And I, I, I thank you that your light has come into my life. And even if things are not always the way I want, thank you that you, you've got a bigger picture and you're working out your good in my life. And I want, I want to be your light wherever I go. And if you say, you know, I don't really, I don't think I've ever made that decision, but I, I have this longing in my heart and I feel this sense of like a drawing in that there's gotta be more. I'd just love to give you an opportunity to call out to Jesus today and, and to say, Jesus, I, I really do wanna follow you. 
I want you to be the light in my life. And, and I realize on my own I can't do it, and, and the lights are beginning to come on for me. You know the good news about Jesus? He's not like, he's not in a manger still. He's not hanging on a cross. He's not some distant heaven. Like, he's Emmanuel, God with what? Us. Like, he's here. He's listening. And when you call out to him, he, he sees you. He knows your name. He knows all about your past. And he, and he loves you. And he's saying to you today, whoever you if you want to follow me, he won't turn you away and he'll give you the light of life that he offers. So I, I would love to lead us in a prayer. And this is the prayer that's in your notes. And if you're like, man, I, I think I'm, I'd like to just do what Dustin did and, and make that decision in my life today, I'm going to invite you to pray that with me and to know that he's listening for us. So, can, so we can just pray together here. Can you do that? And if this expresses your heart, you can... Pray along silently as I pray aloud. Jesus, you promised that if I believe in you, everything I've ever done wrong will be forgiven. I'll learn the purpose of my life and you will accept me into your eternal home in heaven one day. So Lord, I confess my sin and I believe that you are God, my Savior. I want you in my life as my Lord. Today, I'm turning over every part of my life to your management. I want to leave behind anything that dishonors you. Thank you that I don't have to earn your love or approval. Thank you for your free gift of grace. I commit my life to you. Please save me and accept me into your forever family. Help me to follow and serve you the rest of my life. Jesus, for everybody who's made that decision today, thank you. Thank you that you heard our prayers. Lord, it might be like Molly where we just go, I don't really feel anything. It might be like Dustin where we do. But thank you that when we call out to you that you do hear us and you answer. Help us on the journey, the relationship with you, I pray. And may your light be ever brighter in our lives. In your name we pray and thank you. And everyone said, amen. I'm gonna invite you to take your candle here. I've got mine up here. And uh, we're gonna light some candles just as a demonstration that Jesus is the light of the world. He wants his light to shine and to shine through us. And so we're gonna light these from the Christ candle up here at the front. Ushers will come, they'll go to the end of each row. I'll just say one thing, um, just to help us out with wax not getting on the person's dress in front of you. We always say this, a lighted candle is never tipped. Would you just say that with me, ready? A lighted candle is never tipped. So if yours is lit, let the other person do theirs that way. And we're gonna be led in two Christmas carols uh, by the team here. Let's stand together.